the Dark House. I'm Diana. And I'm David. It's Riverdale, Season 6, Episode 12, Chapter 107, In the Fog. After uncovering what Percival has planned for the town, Archie, Betty, Jughead, and Tabitha devise a plan to outs the current town council and instate their own. But when Percival catches wind of their secret meeting, he and Alice use an upcoming weather event to scare the town into staying in their homes while they carry out the next step of Percival's master plan. Well, this was an episode of television. <laughs> this was bare. This again felt like filler, but it was kind of nice that like the action was very minimal compared to the last episode. So like pacing wise, it makes sense to me. I feel like this synopsis is a little uh, it's putting it, it puts way too much emphasis on the Percival aspect, which is literally just Percival finds out something and then does something. The end. Like it's... And you don't find out until the end of the episode. And like you also don't see any of it. So, okay. It's a lot of mini character development and it's done through a filler episode. I think the bigger question on our end is how much of this character development is actually interesting and compelling and how much of it is, huh? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we start off, we're at Archie's house, and Jug, Tabitha, Betty, and Archie are talking about what's going on, okay? They got to deal with the apocalypse. They're going to have a coup de town, if you will. <laughs> That was really cheeky, but I appreciate it. And they're, yeah, they're going to out the town council, put in a new one, but they, they have to get other people on board. So they're like, okay, who we got to talk to? Veronica, Reggie, Tony, Thing, Cheryl. And Tabitha's like, Kevin, too. I don't think he's gone over completely to the dark side yet well all right okay so like i can appreciate that and so as they're talking about like okay we can do it at pops night after nightfall we cut to what's obviously alice's hand holding the front door open she's been listening and then we see that them quietly close the door and then we cut to alice telling percival what's going on at his shop it's so so shocking and that's fine. Like, I'm fine with Alice being Percival's main henchman. That's very in keeping with the character of Alice that we've we've known. She's been manipulated quite a few times. Yes, she is also manipulative. So I'm kind of like, yeah, cool. You know, whatever. And uh, they're going to fear monger the town with this fog event. <laughs> that this other weather reporter has been reporting on, which I'm just like, I need to know about this. Who is yes. this weather reporter? Weather girl is out sick. So mm -hmm. uh, she's going to be the weather girl. So then we cut to Pops and uh, everyone's watching this weather warning from Alice. Uh, the last time this happened was in 1922. And so people are hearing this and they're, they're getting worried and they all start leaving Pops because the fog is coming. And there's going to be a curfew. That's when they start leaving. Yeah, so it's very, it's a nice little callback to the last episode where they explained what a sundown town was. This is more of like, we're just putting the entire town on lockdown. I do find it interesting at the Curiosity Shop that Alice says that the weather girl calls the fog the wrath of God. Yeah. And Percival has a slightly concerned look on his face. Well, he's not God. No, that's why it's interesting, because it's, uh-oh, big man's yeah. coming for me. Sure, sure. Yeah, so then we cut over to the casino. It's empty except for the employees. Veronica's like, what? What's going on? And they say, you know, it's the fog. Everyone's staying home. And so Veronica's like, that's fine. Let's just close up shop. Everyone go home. 
Um, I'll leave for my meeting later. Okay, cool. Go over to Betty. She's at the FBI office. She's marking a calendar. Anyone who's ever experienced periods will looks at that calendar and instantly knows, oh, we're doing some period math here. (laughs) (laughs) Something is off. When you're looking at a calendar like that and you have that look of something's off, it has to do with that character's period, most likely, not always, but most likely. (laughs) The agent comes in and is like, Agent Cooper, the trash bag killer. There's a woman who escaped from him just like you. But he's like, okay, I want to talk to her. (laughs) All right. We go over to the school and Tony's going to play dirty with Kevin. She she invites him over. Uh, She mentions you're going to go to that meeting. And he's like, yeah. It's just, oh, even though you're team Percival, and he just kind of gives her a look. It's like, okay, look, why don't you come over to dinner before the meeting and we can talk about baby Anthony's future? Just us, no lawyers, which like, that's the right thing to do to try. Yeah. And Kevin's just like, no, you're serpents. I don't think you can provide a safe environment for baby Anthony. Ew. So what else is there to talk about? So Tony plays a dirty card. I'm not saying it's not fair. But it's dirty. Uh, this, this, this is fighting dirty. I don't like. I just hate all of it. There's no reason for any of this. I hate it too. It's like, how about your compulsive cruising? I'm all for sex positivity, Kev, but you, my friend, are addicted to putting yourself in risky sexual situations that often end in violence. So I'm not really sure you're the person that should be arbitrating the future of our son. 630 sound good? Which, like, she's got a complete point. Kevin does not have the moral high ground here. And that's fine, but it's... (laughs) The entire conceit of this is just so ridiculous. Yes. And unnecessary. I I completely agree. I completely agree. And so it's that thing of, like, well, yeah, I guess you're technically right, but that doesn't make it any better. (laughs) Yeah, and also... I don't like this coming from Tony. If Fangs, oh, no, no, it's gross. Like, here's the thing. That argument makes total sense in this world where Kevin's like, y'all are, y'all are always involved in violent situations. So are you, Kevin. So are you. But that should have come from Fangs because Fangs is the one that Kevin was in a relationship with specifically. And during that relationship, Kevin was still cruising. So that's the person who has legitimately been hurt by Kevin's behavior. I just. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. I just cut this whole part of it. It's really not necessary. No. Like everything around the baby, not necessary. I completely agree. Uh, We go over to Thornhill and there is a knock at the door. And by golly, it's Penelope in a nun. It's not really a nun habit. It's the. The the sisters who are who are uh, training to before they take their vows as a nun. I don't know what that's called. It's a convent uniform, basically. (laughs) And Cheryl's just like, "What the fuck?" (laughs) So we come to find out, Penelope has been traveling, and she found the original convent of the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. Which I love, Cheryl rolling her eyes. You've got to be kidding me. Because all the rest of us are like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, this horrible conversion cult? Yeah, no, thank you. 
In the Himalayas, no less. In the Himalayas. And they've decided that she can pledge herself fully to Christ. To which Cheryl goes, you're telling me they're letting an ex-dominatrix, convicted felon, serial killer join their convent? The sisters believe in redemption, Cheryl. (laughs) So they've given Penelope time to clean up her unfinished business. That's what Cheryl is. And Cheryl's just like, look, every time you're here, you gaslight me. Like every time I let you in my life, like that's what happens. And I was like, I understand, but just, you know, I need a hot bath and a meal, but every word I've said is true. And she was like, fine, you can stay for supper, sister blossom. <laughs> she also says she has a gift, which is interesting. Yep. <sighs> so we go back to Pops and it is completely dead. There's nobody there. And Jughead starts asking Tabitha about going back in time. And it's like, you know, maybe you could, I don't know, stop the bomb because he misses hearing. He's like, not people's thoughts, but like the clock ticking, which is kind of like sweet. But like, it's 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 a simple thing. Yeah. Like, it seems so simple. And we all take these types of things for granted until it's gone. It's a very it's a very comic book thing for Jughead to do. I, I think it's a very human thing. I don't think it's specifically a comic book thing. And Tabitha's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I've tried, but, you know, the bomb is a fixed point in time. No matter what I do, it always explodes. And Joe's like, well, can you at least get me out of the garage? And she's like, it, it's too risky. There's, there's too many variables. Like, she's just kind of like blah, blah, blah about it. And Joe gets like, yeah, I, I just thought I'd give my best shot, you know? And so then we... We get some, uh, the eerie music is playing and we see the new town sign, the one that Percival had suggested and the fog starts to like just roll in and almost completely cover the sign. And then the light that's illuminating the sign goes off. Love this fake John Carpenter score we're doing. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into it. They're totally nodding to the fog, which I still haven't seen and desperately need to, Mm -hmm. but it's very much a good homage. I like it. Betty, you know, decides she's going to go outside. She opens the front door to her house and there's the fogs getting pretty thick. She sees a figure, a dark figure, a little distance away from her. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, we're not doing this. We go over to Archie's house. He's hanging up on the phone with Tabitha. It's like, what's going on? She's like, um, yeah, there's a creeper outside. Well, do I need to go out there? No, Archie. And he's like, I'm invulnerable. She's like, please don't. Maybe he has some palladium, okay? Like, it's very cute. It's, it's this, pretty adorable. It's very cute. Then they bone. <laughs> they, they do this like, oh, we're safe. It's time to fuck. <laughs> yeah, they bone. Then we have the, are we dating <laughs> conversation? This all happens very quickly. It is very quick. I can appreciate that because it's really just, it feels very lame. It's like, well, I'm not seeing anyone else. And I love when we're together. It just feels right. And Betty's like, I'm glad you feel that way because I'm late and I'm never late. And Archie's like, well, we're always safe, right? And I'm like, yeah, except for that one time. She's <laughs> like, right. Um, but you're, on, you're not on birth control. Uh, no, I stopped taking it when TBK had me in that well. I just never started back up again. And I love it. I love that TBK is going to be the reason we have a Barchi baby. Oh, boy. 
Oh, yep. Lord. Damn those serial killers messing up your cycles, man. <laughs> serial killers are responsible for every big event on this television series. So so why not a Barchi baby? Exactly. You know, why not? The lights go out and but it's like, oh, my God, you're kidding me. And Art's like, OK, I have candles. Like, OK, we go over to Pops and Tabitha's on the phone. And she's like, oh, no, Grandpa, we're fine. Everything's under control. Love you, too. And then we can hear, what am I going to do when I lose him? And Jughead hears this. He hears this. He's reading her mind. He goes, hey, hey, don't worry. Pop Tate's going to outlive us all. Tab's like, what are you doing? You're reading my mind. You're not supposed to do that. And Jughead, you know, he's like, I caught a stray thought. Come on, I don't do it on purpose. And she's like, that's a That's a violation of my privacy. Um, you know, Jughead, you know, you read my mind every time we have a conversation. It's the only way we're able to communicate. But hold that thought as all the lights go out. I'm like, well, do we still have candles in the back? <laughs> so, all right. So, like, I instantly knew the second we heard Tab say, what am I do when I lose him? She, she's talking about Jughead. Of course she is. And then she, like, just looks at it again and is just, like, all, oh, man, he doesn't get it. And I don't know if I can tell him. Yeah. So, we go back to Archie's house. We have this room. You know, it's just it's like a pillow fort bed area with candles all around <laughs> you know it's fine it's meant to look very romantic and Betty tells him what happened with tbk he would go out every night and then one night he didn't and he took her out of the the well and he essentially made her dismember a body it would bond them and let him know that she's a kindred spirit um i do want to point out a turkey carver would not work on a human body. <laughs> um, it it would definitely cut the skin and the muscle, but it would not work on the bones. Bones are very, very dense. Human bones, they are. Especially human bones. Turkey bones can do, they could still fuck up your turkey carver. Yeah. Um, but they're a little more pliable. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we could share this, this little tidbit of wisdom. I just with want you, you to know, if you're going to commit a murder... That's not how you dismember a body. Go watch Dexter for tips on how to do that. So she did it. So that what I what I liked about that is it just makes that scene where she talks to the guy, the Starkweather guy, that what she's going to do to him. It's like, yeah, I know she's perfectly capable of doing this. And now we know she had done it at that point. Yeah. So like that kind of makes it sad, but also like, all right. Trauma. Trauma. Uh, and then Betty says, you know, afterwards, I just felt different, like physically, psychically dismembered, uh, which I guess is what he's wanted. And Archie's like, you're not dismembered. Um, You did what you had to do to survive. And he talks about how he's been thinking about why he's there. And it's because he wants to raise a family. Like he loves the town. He, you know, he kept that house. So like, that's what it's all about for him. And so he says, you know, tomorrow. We're going to get a pregnancy test and whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. Archie forever. Archie forever. Love it. Yeah. Uh, we go to the casino and Veronica's drinking at a blackjack table. Mm-hmm. And Reggie comes in. He's got a box. She's like, what are you doing? He's like, I cleaned out all my shit. Um, I'd ask if you want a ride to Archie's meeting, but it got postponed because of the fog. Veronica's like, Tabitha texted me. And that's when Reggie says, yeah, it's like a Stephen King movie out there. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And so she's like, let's have a drink. And he's like, I should not drink and drive, especially in this fog. And she's like, well, why don't you drink and stay? And she's like, I don't want to fight. So let's not. Let's play poker. I've been playing poker all day with the wise guys. And Veronica's like, what about strip poker? Or have you been playing that with the wise guys too? (laughs) And then the power goes out. And Veronica's like, there you go. A sign from God, Reggie. Or the devil. (laughs) (laughs) So they're going to get some candles and have a go. From drip chic. Drip chic candles. Barf. We go back to Pops. Jughead comes out from the back room and is like, hey, do you have any tubing? I was like, why? I was like, I need to siphon gas out of our car for the generator. And Tav was like, yeah, but like our car's on the edge of the parking lot. You won't be able to see three feet in front of you. It's dangerous. Jughead's like, it'll be fine. And also I found a radio runs on batteries. Maybe you can see what people are saying about the fog. He's like, okay, fine. Back to the casino. Reggie is down to his boxers. Veronica is in her underwear. She's like, let's fuck. And he's like, no. She's like, maybe a kiss. And he's like, fine, we can start with a kiss. And they start making out and he catches sight of the photo of Hiram. He's like, let's go somewhere else. (laughs) It's like, okay. They're so adorable together, which makes it sad later. But no, I the thing I liked about this is because it was very much what we've been saying. Mm -hmm. And it I liked that the characters are having this conversation. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's it's just more the, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so after they bone, you know, Veronica's like, you know, maybe we're too hasty breaking up. And Reggie's like, you're the one who ended it. Well, you shouldn't have stolen those slot machines. And maybe I overreacted. And she's like, but, you know, we're a good match, Reggie, which they are. They are legit a good match. Except. <laughs> Except. That they're really toxic. And I love that it's Reggie who points it out. He's just like, you know, I need you to get rid of that painting of your dad. And she's like, it's just a painting. And he's like, Ronnie, we both know it's more than a painting. Okay. Like, get rid of it. And she's like, okay, fine. He's like, let's do it now. What's the urgency? Because I don't believe you'll do it otherwise. And so then we get into the, I always feel like I've been second fiddle to Archie. And now I feel like I'm second fiddle to him too. And (laughs) then we get something from Veronica that is very much a vulnerability she's never been like before in that Archie was supposed to go with her to New York and he chose Riverdale over her. Yep. So then Reggie's like, okay, so in your ideal world, who's with you in New York, me or Archie? Veronica's like, I broke up with Archie because he wouldn't move to New York. So the question is moot. To which Reggie is just like, all you had to say was, Reggie, you're the one. And Veronica tries to really, like, brush this off. It's like, it's not a big deal. It's like, we're, it, you're just you, and it's just me, a man and a woman, and we're just in this room. And Reggie breaks down. He says, no, Ronnie, you're like your dad, and I'm recreating my own parents' dynamic. Ooh. Yeah. My mom chose her career over my dad every time. That's what Veronica does. And it's not just you, Ronnie. It's both of us. Veronica's really annoyed at this, but like there's a, there's kind of a moment of silence where it hits. And she's like, you know, I've wondered if the reason we're such a good match is that we're actually bad in ways that are simpatico. <laughs> so Reggie says that's why we got to break up this screwed up toxic cycle for our both's sake. So they're just like, okay, fog notwithstanding, I'm starting to see things crystal clear. 
and I'm going to get my stuff and go. So Reggie leaves. Oh, I love this so much for Reggie because the one thing I can, you, you cannot deny in this season is that Reggie is growing the fuck up. Yes. Has he done some bad shit? Sure. Does he want to run scams? Absolutely. He is a hustler to his core, but he wants to be a good person and he wants the person he's with to see that in him and help him be the best to help him win. Veronica's not that person. Veronica wants Veronica to win, not her person. Yeah. It's always all about Veronica because she is just like her dad. Um, and Veronica, Veronica, to her credit, is also growing up. It's just maybe into her father. But it is interesting to watch. No, it's a different thing. Veronica hasn't grown up at all. She grew up into her father. That's 100% what happened to her, but she's still selfish. She's still like, yeah, she can be self-reflective. Like it's one of my favorite lines that was ever said from Grey's Anatomy. Knowing what your shit is and dealing with your shit is two very different things. Yeah. So Veronica is very much in the, I know what my shit is. She does not deal with any of her shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We head on over to the high school and Kevin is grading papers. Where is he? He's in the doghouse. Hey! Which, just a reminder for any potential new listeners, or in case you forgot, the doghouse is what we referred to as the student lounge. But as we have grown up and we are teachers now, it's now the teacher's lounge because they don't go to the student lounge anymore. (laughs) It's only fair. So he is grading papers and he's thinking about those hookups that we've seen. So this is a nice little flashback. And he checks his phone. He's like, oh, man, I'm late. And Moose pops up. Moose. It's Moose Mason, old Marmaduke, which I'm really sad he could never get called Marmaduke in this episode. Missed opportunity. He's there because he's getting reacclimated. He's going to be the new PE teacher. Adorable. Love it. And so they're like, let's catch up. And Kevin's kind of like, yeah, I, you know, I, I should I should leave. I'm late. And Moose is like, you can't leave right now. It's too foggy out. And so like, they kind of go back and forth. And Moose is like, just a half an hour because of the fog. <laughs> so I'm going to say this. I don't think Moose is really there. I don't either. I think this is a manipulation. I feel like this this is how powerful Percival is. Yes. He can not only mind control you into doing things, suggestions, but he can put images in your mind. I mean, maybe. Or maybe he manipulated Moose to show up. Perhaps that. I, I could buy that, but I feel like this interaction is a manipulation from Percival. Oh, yeah. Well, because Moose shows up out of fucking nowhere. Which the reason he's there as a new PE teacher makes complete sense in the character of Moose Mason, but also in in the world of let's fuck up Kevin's life more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. On the one hand, this is very dumb and everything that they are doing with Kevin is incredibly dumb. On the other hand, is adorable because Kevin Keller deserves his sweet boyfriend. Oh, yeah. Kevin Keller, Moose Mason, since S1E1, hot as fuck, I'm into it. Okay? Totally. That's when we first saw them hook up. We go over to the Tang's apartment for a Tostitos commercial. (laughs) 
didn't even grab that it was Tostitos. Tostitos That's commercial. amazing. Yeah, I love it. It's great. Good for you, Frito Lay. Yeah, like getting it in. I'm here for it. So before Kevin gets there, they want to have this talk. You know, like I just we got to figure out how the serpents are going to evolve or not, in case he asks. And Fangs just wants Anthony raised the same way they were, you know, old school serpent style. He wants him to be able to defend himself, fight when he needs to fight with the serpents by his side. And then he's like, and I don't want him to get killed by a ghoulie, to which Tony's like, don't say that out loud. And also all the ghoulies were killed by cops. And if he's going to be a gang member, he's going to be in constant danger from cops. So like whatever you want the Sweetwater serpents to be, um, you know, it's always going to be a problem. So they're kind of like, maybe when Kevin gets there, we don't focus on the serpents. Instead, we appeal to him as a compassionate human being and tell him we want to avoid an expensive, drawn out legal battle. Because these two are not in agreement on the track of the serpents. Which is also fine. I'm like, okay. And then the lights go out, which Fang's like, what the hell? I just paid this month's bill. Oh, you sweet, dumb idiot. And Tony's like, it's probably the fog. I'll go get the candles. So we go back to the school. Moose and Kevin are chatting on the couch. We have a flashback to the Gargoyle King interrupting them having sex for the first time. <laughs> Kevin again. <laughs> yeah. Another joke about Kevin. I'd be like, that's not traumatizing at all. Mm-mm, not even a little bit. Not the worst moment of my life up until then. <laughs> and and then they kiss. And was like, sorry. And Kevin's like, no, no, I was feeling too. I just need to send a quick text. We cut right back to the Tang's apartment. Sorry, I don't think I can make it tonight because of the fog. Rain check. And Fangs is pissed. This sets him off in a way we haven't really seen before. I knew he would do this. He bails on people. He bailed on our marriage. And now he's bailing on us as a family. And now he's suing us for custody and Tony's trying to calm him down. It's like, why are you trying to make nice with him? And just for Anthony's sake. And, you know, yeah, he just really, he wants to go do something. And Tony's like, you can't get arrested again. Maybe Anthony needs you. He needs his father. So please stay here with us for me. (sighs) Welcome, Jax Fogarty. This is so Sons of Anarchy. Eh. I mean, they're always going to be references to the Sons of Anarchy, but they're not a motorcycle gang. So. It's all very dumb. It's all very, very dumb. Tabitha gets the radio on and she's like, hello, is anyone out there? And she hears a man on the voice. It's very distinct, like out of the house. Hello, is someone there? There's a under the bed. And she's like, do you need help? And then Jughead comes in and it just took him a long time. He got turned around, but he filled the gas up to the brim. So he's ready to fire up the generator. All right, then. We cut back to the school and Moose. And Kevin have boned. Yeah. Yeah. That was one hell of a way to catch up. Yeah. It feels like we're back in sophomore year. <laughs> and so Kevin goes to the bathroom to wash up. And as he's going, like the fog is filling in the hallway. And then he goes to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, the gargoyle king comes out of one of the stalls. And then he wakes up. He He's having a nightmare. And Moose is just like, Oh, it, it it's okay. I got you. And he hugs him in this very like weird, it's overly lovey dovey way. Yeah. And then and he's like, it was just a dream. And Kevin's like, okay. Uh, and he's breathing really heavy. And Kevin looks into the hallway. He can see the lights have turned red and the fog is still rolling through. So 
Like, yeah, this is definitely the Percival manipulation. It's not good. No, it's not good. And it makes me feel like (sighs) I have a suspicion now after thinking through this just a little bit that Kevin may have a power that hasn't been unlocked. And that's why Percival hasn't been able to get his full, like the full control over Kevin. Like he can influence him, but it's not as strong as like, say, Alice. Hmm. So it makes me wonder if Kevin has a power that hasn't officially been unlocked and might be unlocked when he like comes to realize who Percival is. And that will be what is used to save baby Anthony and then he'll die. Yep, pretty much. Okay, thanks. I think I, I, lo- I love how we're just like all would agree that Kevin's dying this season. Oh, he's dead. He's so fucking marked for Maybe death. Maybe that's like, it. Maybe he's a ghost. <laughs> Kevin's been dead this whole time. I'm here for it. <laughs> we cut over to Thornhill and Cheryl finds Penelope in the altar room. You came in here to steal Julian. I knew it. Who sent you was a purse floor to Abigail herself summon you. And Penelope's like, I'm just reacquainting myself with Thornhill. (sighs) She's just like Cheryl's over it. And so she blows out the candle that she's holding, takes the candle out of the candlestick, and she just bashes her over the head. Hell yeah. Doing something I should have done long ago, which I'm like, yeah, Penelope deserves this. This is this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Jughead gets the generator going and the power back on. It pops. Yay. And there you go. Yep. We go back to dinner at Thornhill and Penelope has, I I couldn't tell for sure. Has she been tied to the chair? Uh, I don't think so because I don't think she has to be. (laughs) Okay. Well, she wakes up, she comes to, and she's, it's very hot. And Cheryl's just like, yeah, right now you're about 112. 140. How are you doing this? I'm pyrokinetic. And Cheryl's just like, you couldn't come back and just be normal, mother, could you? You're still your usual gaslighting manipulative self. And so through all of this, Penelope says, do you remember Heather? And we go, yeah, of course you found us and called us, you know, deviants. She goes, uh, I have letters. They're from Heather. And yeah. <sighs> Exploitation of trauma. Trauma prop, trauma prop, trauma props. There's one way that this could wind up okay. And we'll mm-hmm. talk about it later when we get the reconciliation scene. Mm-hmm. I don't expect them to, to go that route. Not even a little bit. Sure. Uh, we go back to Pops and Tabitha is you now putting out her. You know, anyone who can hear me, this is Tabitha Tate broadcasting live from Pops Chocolate Shop, exit 17 off the Lonely Highway. If you're lost in the fog, look for the pop sign. We're open. We have power, food, heat, running water. Just look for the light. And as she's starting to say this, we go outside and we see the pop site is flickering and then it just comes on. And I just kind of like that. Again, this is just reestablishing that pops has always been a port in the storm. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm into it. We cut on over to Cheryl. She is crying as she is reading letters. Nope. brings her tea. And Cheryl's like, all these years, I always wondered why I never heard from Heather. Did you really hate me that much? Like, why? Why were you so cruel to me? And Penelope's just like, I suppose I recognized in you something that I had tried so very hard to kill myself because I felt like a monster. I'm so, so sorry. Tomorrow when the fog lifts, I'll be gone. But before I go, please forgive me, Cheryl. Please forgive me my trespasses. I beg of you. New thought. Mm-hmm. 
This is Raphael. Why would it be Raphael? The storylines in this episode are helping Cheryl, Kevin, and Betty start to come to terms with their trauma. So the idea is Raphael or the forces of good. Well, Raphael is Tabitha's angel. Yeah, so maybe not that, but like the forces of good are trying to work on them to be like, hey, you need to recognize how you got these powers and why they're important if you want to figure out how you're going to use them to defeat Percival. You got to let go of your bullshit. Yeah. I think that's a bigger deal Mm -hmm. of what's going on here because it doesn't make sense, especially because I honestly think Penelope's not here either. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Penelope to be here, especially if that's not Moose with Kevin. I can believe that. I I don't hate it as a theory. It ties well with, you know, my thinking, you know, of, you know, Betty has to get out of her own blind spot to like, and Archie needs to learn how to not punch and Jughead needs to learn how to actually listen to people. And what what made Betty stay in a shadowy figure in the fog? Uh-huh. Yeah, I I And get what is that. the fog? The wrath of God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not horrible. I'm just I'm trying to figure out Cheryl's though. Cheryl's is a little I feel is a little more abstract, but then that also cuts to what is Kevin's power? Yeah, that's the interesting thing. And I mean, if it is that case, then what it is is Moose is that figure holding him saying, I know it's really scary. I know things are really tumultuous, Uh but you have people who care about you. Yeah. Well, it's just like you can have like, I mean, because I I do like like we've had in show Kevin explain why he goes cruising. We don't know for certain whether or not he's continued that since we've had that revelation, since that has been revealed to us. I'm just... uh... I'm trying to decide what Kevin's power will be. I'm, you know what? I'm guessing it's going to be his voice. Probably. I am thinking that that makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Uh, we cut over to Kevin. Kevin calls Fangs and just telling him, hey, you know, sorry I didn't make it. I just want to say that after a night of reflection and taking stock, if you and Tony want to discuss joint custody just amongst ourselves, I'd be open to that. To which Fangs is like, oh, really? And he's like very grumpy. Kevin's like, yeah, the world's a scary place and there's safety in numbers. So I'd be willing to. And Fang's just like, whatever epiphany you had last night, I had one too. I want to be half a dad and I want my son to be raised with an integrity that I'm not sure you possess. The fact that you're even waffling about Percival, to which Kevin's like, that's not fair. I'll see you in court, Kevin. Until then, watch your back. (sighs) I don't know. Like I said, can I just delete this whole storyline? Because I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. I just, I hate it. We cut over to Veronica. She's in her office and, you know, she calls on her intercom asking her assistant, you know, bring me some butcher paper, string and masking tape. I need to wrap something up. So I do appreciate that. Like she's I mean, she's not going to change overnight, but it's like I'm going to prove to him that I'm going to do this. So I hope now we see Veronica pursuing Reggie in a constructive way that respects Reggie as a person and doesn't make him a consolation prize. Yeah, I hope that's what happens with their relationship. We cut back to Pops. It's morning time. And we've got another news report. Percival's the mayor now. (laughs) Uh, So I I like how they just made this very quick. With Jughead's narration, he's like, so Tabitha broke it down for me. Apparently, while the rest of us were waiting for the fog to lift, the Council of Four, minus Tabitha, met, dissolved itself, and appointed Percival mayor. We cut on over to Betty and Archie watching how the hell do you do this? <laughs> like, they're just like so annoying. 
It's great. <laughs> we cut back to Pops, Tabitha, and Jughead. And Tabitha tells Jughead that, you know, she's seen his death. It is cemented in time. He's just like, what? It's like, you know, how many times did we beat him? She goes, twice out of 1,384 times. <laughs> Jughead in his very usual style. That's grim. <laughs> So, like, no, my favorite was Jughead going, sadly, it's not the first time I've been destined to die. <laughs> Which is such a comic book line. Uh, it is. It absolutely is. I love it. God bless you, Jug. So, you know, he's just like, just don't give up hope, because that would kill me. So that's cute. I like it. They pan down on the front, and it catches a sign that says, dead end. Yep. We cut on over to Archie's kitchen and there's a pregnancy test and they've got the timer on. And but I just like, man, what a surreal 24 hours. Archie's just like, yep, what a surreal year. But this could be good news for us. So no matter what, I'm here feeling closer to you than I ever have before. So the timer goes off. You know, Betty gets ready to pick it up and he gets behind her and he's just like got his hands on her shoulder and he, they pull it up to their faces and we see them looking at it. and. Riverdale. Is it just me or do they look at it really concerningly like something weird is happening? I bet you. I bet you that what happens is it's inconclusive. They, oh, it, God. They're going to have to go to the doctor. <laughs> Dr. Curdle Jr.? Dr. Curdle Jr. Who's also an OBGYN? Of course he is. <laughs> I mean, how could he not be? I... It really isn't that bad an episode. The only thing that I like, I like the character directions for everybody, except that I don't hate this for Kevin, but I hate the baby plot line. Oh, yeah. I just I cannot get over how awful that is. Mm -hmm. Well, (sighs) it's it's just all of this to what end? Because I feel like it should have been resolved by now. There's no point for that. I mean, I again, he could be pissed off and saying like i don't know i don't know it's just so dumb i agree it is very dumb (sighs) well there's a next time on that we have to watch so all right right. let's let's go watch that so next week is called ex libris Mm mm-hmm so we see a creepy Miss Grundy. <laughs> Geraldine Grundy, everyone. Yeah, that's that's some callback if ever there was one. <laughs> yeah. To maybe, is it the worst storyline we've ever done on this show? I don't know, but it's definitely up there. Yeah. It's definitely up there. Still mad at that woman. Oh, sure. I mean, she's dead. So it's zombie Grundy, which, yeah. okay. That's actually kind of fun. <laughs> and Betty makes a comment like it's it's like someone's going through my mind with dirty fingers. And it I feel like this is going to be everyone's going to get confronted with their past sins. Or at least for Archie, it's like this is something that haunts him that he doesn't realize haunts him. It's trauma time. It's trauma props for everyone. Here's what I will say is that, yes, I know tr- the, the trauma prop part of it is there, but... If you're using that, that they have to confront it, it it makes it more interesting than it would be. 
sure. If if they can have Archie be like, I did it, like this is haunting me and I don't know why. And then like they have him have a conversation with Betty or whatever. And like they actually say the words like this was rape. This is statutory rape because she was an adult taking advantage of a child of which she had authority over. This is not okay. Like, I would really like for them to fully address that. And and I think that's where it's kind of headed. They're not going to do it well because it's rivered. But what I do think is that they're going to use that as a catapult to what's going to happen in the last part of the season, which is Mm -hmm. now they've, they've got these powers, but how do they use those powers to actually fight this guy? Yeah. And how is he going to try to manipulate them with their past trauma? Mm-hmm. So it's it's all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Veronica isn't being controlled by anyone. Yeah. She says, I'm not going to be controlled by anybody. Which is fair because she can't be because she's Veronica. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> when you see zombie Grundy, you know you're in for a ride. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. Well. Until next time, hashtag Bulldogs Forever. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.